everybody welcome back to another episode of need some introduction today we'll be doing the recap for dexter i have sona with me hi by the way i did do a recap of the most recent episode of succession solo but i will be getting sona's feedback as well in a later episode and that episode <laughs> came out very late by the way because not because of this uh, situation but because of the amazon cloud outage <laughs> and i the episode basically didn't publish until yesterday it was like sitting in a queue again for like two days basically so <laughs> but it is out and overnight many people listened to it so uh, you know about the same as we usually That's get fantastic. people did catch up on it regardless and it was a really really interesting uh, episode and uh, just as a commercial for later this week I will be recording right now, actually, at the same point, getting Sona's reaction on that episode, a very interesting episode, to say the least, as well in that episode, which we should be publishing probably by Thursday or Friday, I'd say. Uh, Sona, this is a recommendation for you that you might be interested in this. I recorded with Sarah, a friend of mine who is a psychoanalyst, and she did a case study on the Roy family. And she's uh -huh. just, I found the conversation totally fascinating. And she had only seen season three, like the first two or three episodes. She hadn't been fully caught up. Mm -hmm. And so many things she's talking about the family dynamic literally played out in those two or three episodes that she was behind. And then like everything she mentions, <laughs> like plays out exactly in this most recent episode. Well, she is very good at her job. <laughs> yes, she's good at her job. But I also think that the writers of the show are using true psychological analysis mm -hmm. on the, these children, right? And the, and the dynamic they have with their parents. But I thought you would be really interested because I know you're interested in psychoanalysis. Always. I think you'll find this conversation really, really interesting. Speaking of psychologically damaged people, <laughs> we are talking today about Dexter, New Blood. <laughs> Putting it mildly, Victor, but okay. <laughs> and Harrison as well, right? So lots of psychologically damaged people in our current recaps of the show. <laughs> this week's episode, Dexter, New Blood, Episode five, we're right in the middle of the season. This episode is called Runaway for pretty obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And before we get into the full breakdown, Sona, how do you feel? We're halfway through the season exactly at this point. How do you feel the show's going? Hey, you know, I just realized while we're talking about this, I don't think we had any ghost dab this episode. Oh, we did. Uh, oh, we definitely did. You did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot. I don't even remember it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're at, such a terrible father. You're such a terrible father, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the very, yeah. <laughs> the, the reason that I thought there was no ghost job is because I found this episode very not annoying. So, <laughs> so, so I was like, wow, you know, I don't remember being annoyed during the time I watched this at all. It must be because there was no Deb. So excited to see Angel Batista. I was not <laughs> yeah. expecting that. It totally came out of left field. And I like that idea of like connecting these yeah. worlds together. I'm very interested in that. Yeah. And I thought this was a good episode. You know, it's, it hasn't been knocking my socks off, to be totally honest, but I do like the fact that it feels from episode to episode. I've literally been dreading just because I my experience with the show in the past, especially the later seasons, I should specifically say that I was worried that they're going to introduce a lot of stuff and then be like, oh, there's all the suspense. They're going to discover who Dexter is or whatever. And then they're going to just drop it and then drag things out for another five, six episodes. Like they did that for multiple seasons back in the original uh, show. But uh, to their credit, every single time I'm like, oh, and now Harrison is maybe a sociopath. And they're like, one episode later, they're like, nope, <laughs> he definitely uh, attacked Ethan first, right? Here, it's just like, well, is, is Dexter going to be found out? And it's like, yep, <laughs> one episode later, yep, he's found out. So, <laughs> so they're not- I mean 
dragging things out, basically. Listen, I don't think anything will ever match the suspense of Dexter season one. And, you know, maybe some of that John Lithgow stuff, which, you know, to me was a really great season. So I, I'm not setting that bar for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm more working from the bar of the final season, oh, sure. which placed Absolutely. the bar very low. <laughs> yes, so, yes. so in that way, I am pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I would actually line this up. Still not as good because there's nobody as compelling as John Lithgow himself. But I very much align this with that fourth season. In the first season, obviously, like you said, and I'd say even the, I should say the first half or two thirds of the second season, there is this episode to episode suspense because when you're watching the show at that point, any episode every week, he could possibly be discovered, right? So there's a mm -hmm. real sense of suspense, right? By the time you get to the fourth uh, season, you just know they're going to keep it on for a long period of time. And he's going to keep getting away with things, no matter how outlandish it is. But to that correlation, I think that that fourth season, which is successful, where John Lithgow kind of has this normal life. Yeah. Dexter's almost aspiring to that. I think that's a similar dynamic that we're seeing here. I would say a criticism. I don't care about any of the characters. Agree. You know, including yeah. Dexter. I'm really not, you know, it's fine to watch Dexter again. So I know Dexter, but I'm not really concerned <laughs> with what happens to him at the end. And I'm not really like dreading yeah. that any of these innocent folks end up dead or anything. Uh, you know, in, in the original show, yeah. I really did like some of those police officers. So I actually was worried that like Masuka or something might end up dead. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Like, this isn't a show that I would, um, it's not at that level that I'm going to lose sleep to watch this show. Sure. I'm going to make sure to watch it. I want to keep up with it. I don't want to fall behind. I want to know what's going on, but not so much that I'm going to lose sleep or like, you know, reprioritize my entire day. Yeah, I agree. But it is good. And uh, and like I said, the if anything, suspense is uh, increasing from episode to episode. So, and just uh, to let you know, by the way, the um, original showrunner came back for this. He has said openly in his interviews that he not only wants to redeem the show in its finale, that he says people are going to be really shocked by the finale of this show. So he is setting the bar very high. All right. It's the police chief. She is a split personality and her <laughs> yes. other personality has been killing these girls. This is, it, it's the, it's a podcaster. She, this whole thing is in her mind. <laughs> these are all personas that she's based on her, her podcast characters. <laughs> she's creating the crimes in order to have something to podcast about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And she's framing Dexter. This is her, it's like the usual suspects. <laughs> this is her telling this story. Spoilers for the usual suspects, by the way. This is her telling this story inside the interview room. <laughs> So uh, for my sociopath of the week, by the way, Sona, and I'm not sure if I've actually recommended this to you before. I There is a show, uh, a podcast series called You Must Remember This. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, Karina Longworth, I believe her name is, uh, is the journalist slash host and editor of the show. It's a very popular podcast. I highly recommend it. If you haven't listened to it, it's very, very good. And this current season is about Sammy Davis Jr. and... Dean Martin and like their parallel careers through the fifties and the sixties and their relationship with Frank Sinatra and really fascinating. Just talking about like race relations, how Italians were lynched in the South, uh, you know, in, in, in equal numbers, basically with, uh, with blacks, they were basically considered black at one point legally. And it speaks about this, how these, their careers start in parallel at the, in the fifties and how they have this huge rise to fame. Sammy Davis Jr. obviously becomes incredibly famous, but it's just interesting to see race relations, how Italians basically at the end of that decade have integrated completely. And then of course, there's still this like huge uh, and ongoing struggle among African-Americans to this day, but it's, it's really fascinating. It's a, it's a great series. They're more than halfway through it right now, but I highly recommend that. But that is not the reason I brought this up. It is that she has a series, one of her earlier series is about Charles Manson. 
And you can actually either subscribe to her feed or you can look for, you must remember Manson. She's basically put it out as a separate podcast. That is just the, just those episodes. And I cannot recommend this podcast more highly. It's, uh, incre- it's incredible that what she does, which I find so fascinating, it's not indulging the usual true crime of sensationalizing Manson. Uh-huh. It's about everything else that's not related to Manson. The Manson murders are maybe 15 minutes of one episode of the show. But what it talks about, and this is what I find so fascinating about her podcast in general, she talks about the years leading up to that the late 60s culture in San Francisco, the whole counterculture, and what led up to that. And then how Manson was hanging out with some of the Beach Boys and he had a, a record deal. It's this yeah. crazy time in history. They do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is and crazy. That, yeah. And yeah. it was just this crazy moment in history where he seemed like, a, you know, people were just kind of like, hey, maybe that'll work. Maybe people are into that. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's it's not about him specifically, but it's about the uh, culture that existed out there and this moment in America. That, and then, of course, the satanic panic and everything that came afterwards uh, that he kind of tied himself into you know, intentionally. They tried to make it look like a satanic murder and stuff. And this is coming after Rosemary's Baby. And of course, one of the victims of this was you know, married to Roman Polanski, who had directed Rosemary's Baby. So all these things intermingled at that moment. And it's just this really fascinating portrait of putting you in this time and space and then how this horrible thing happened in the middle of it. And but how it was almost like destined to happen. And it's it's utterly fascinating. Yeah, it's like almost not about the sociopathy of one person, but the sociopathy of the culture at that moment. And it's it's great. And it partially inspired Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. He's called it as a reference point for him as well, just to kind of like set the context of the culture at the time. And uh, it's great. And I really uh, recommend it really, really highly. Oh. And it's the kind of true crime I wish there was more of that you're using this sensationalistic story but that's not what your focus is. You know, we have a tendency to think that inventions are made by one person and crimes are committed by one person and, you know, great leaders are one person, but it's not, right? It's like the people around them and this intermingling of, of events that create these stories. But then we always seem to just fixate on one individual within it. I mean, that everybody should listen to that. Okay, so we open up on the episode, once again, called Runaway. This opening scene, and here's to your point, uh, Sona, I think the reason you're not annoyed by Deb is they used her well in this episode. She was not a screeching harpy for once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was screeching, but for the right reason. (laughs) Dexter is basically having a conversation. He's found the switchblade, and he's going to confront Harrison. Ghost Deb is there. He's saying, I need to tell him I grew up, you know, hating myself, you know, afraid of myself. I can be his mentor, lead him through this difficult time in his life if I tell him about myself. And Deb says to him, you're going to tell that there's a hundred bags <laughs> at the bottom of the Atlantic. He go mm-hmm. and he's like saying, I can help him. And she says, you're going to give him like the green light to, to do this. And this is an interesting duality. He's saying Harrison feels alone. I know what that's like. I want to help him out. Not a bad perspective. She's saying if he's truly a psychopath, and you're saying, hey, I've been getting away with this for decades. <laughs> Are you giving him the green light to keep doing it? Mm-hmm. Right? So Deb is talking sense, you know, ghost Deb or <laughs> whatever you want to call her, because she's just a part of Dexter, really. Yeah. But he's 
kind of like the heart of the episode in retrospect when I watch it again, because this is, uh, you know, the battle that uh, Dexter has to reconcile here. Although he doesn't do the right things, <laughs> given this initial duality, yeah. that this, this conflict he has internally, he doesn't make the right decisions throughout this episode. Right. The next thing we see is we see Kurt and uh, he's talking to Zoe. He's taking her out to this, uh, to her, her prison, her, her, her cage. Yes. <laughs> her death. Yeah, exactly. Her death by the end of the episode. True. <laughs> And uh, she's like, oh, can you really be this nice? And it's like, well, no, and she doesn't know that yet. Meanwhile, the uh, police have tracked down credit card receipts for Matt in New York City. And Angela's like, hmm, I'm going to go give that guy a piece of my mind. I'm going to New York City <laughs> with the podcaster in tow. Mm-hmm. And conveniently, there is a conference there, a, a police conference, a criminologist. Yeah, super or something. convenient, I have to say. Very, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where she runs into Angel. I just made the, figured that out, by the way. Angela, Angel. Maybe, you know, ah, interesting. There. Dexter does finally confront Harrison. Do you buy Harrison's explanations here at all? Like, wh- what do you still think happened? There? No, I don't buy Harrison's explanations. I think he's a sociopath. And I don't think there's anything accurate about what he's saying happened. I think it's what Ethan said. Yeah, the evidence all points to that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't buy it either. But Harrison is very defensive here as well. So I wonder if, you know, was he a vigilante? Um, I still am confused by this, basically. I'm not 100% sure as to whether he was framing Ethan to make himself into a hero, or if this was vigilanteism, right? That he thought that, well, Ethan is going to act, so I'm going to act preemptively. So he feels legitimately upset, for example, that Dexter isn't taking his side, right? He's not, he doesn't seem to be like, oh, he's onto me. I got to get out of here. He seems to be upset that Dexter is not backing him. Yeah, I agree. So I'm not sure he sees himself yet as a bad person, especially considering what happens later in the episode when uh, Harrison's stepping out of the house and Dexter's telling him he can trust them. He's like, why would I trust you, Jim? Pointing out the fact that he's a complete, <laughs> completely lying about yes. everything. And then Dexter kills a pillow <laughs> and quickly do. covers it up. He's like a little, a little embarrassed about it. It's like quickly covers it up with a, with a blanket. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was very funny. That whole thing was very funny. He just oh, slices the pillow and... <laughs> And then covers it up very quickly. Ooh, I hope nobody sees it. Like a little kid. <laughs> yeah. Maybe think of uh, Edward Scissorhands. If Edward Scissorhands accidentally punctures the uh, like the waterbed. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, yeah. And then he tries to like place like one of the dolls on top of the leaf. <laughs> <laughs> Harrison heads to a party, and we have Travis Scott on the uh, soundtrack. So we have proof now that this isn't some kind of a bizarre time travel <laughs> prequel <laughs> that we were speculating <laughs> okay. earlier. We have proof that there's contemporary music being played on the radio. <laughs> Dexter goes to the bar. He needs something a little stronger than an IPA today. The bartender recommends a family therapist for him. And Kurt shows up and plays Runaway and dances oh, very badly. Creepy. The beginning of his dance, by the way, I honestly didn't even think he was dancing. I thought he was like doing something else. I'm like, what, what is he going to do now? <laughs> very strange. I agree. This is, uh, you know, a big point that happens here. Harrison is kind of despondent over... The situation with his dad. He says to Audrey, you're the only one that understands me. Why is that? Audrey's a good girl, actually legitimately a good girl. We don't know, you know if that was kind of a pretense earlier on. Mm-hmm. She's there to kind of keep track of everybody. She's not partaking of any of the drugs that are going around. Harrison gets ecstasy and then gets uh, fentanyl accidentally <laughs> later on, which is uh, very problematic, obviously. <laughs> problematic is one word for it. Sure. <laughs> And uh, while he's tripping, he does a couple of weird things. One is the girl says, hey, carve your initials into my my foot. Yes. And he cuts her foot and he starts to bleed and he starts to panic when he sees the blood. Now, the first time I saw it, I was thinking like, oh, is this like some flashback to some murder that he's done or something? 
Uh, you know, I'm thinking Dexter's psychology here. But then I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's the flashback to the mother's death, right? Like when he's like kind of, you know, born in blood, that whole mm-hmm. uh, situation where he's, uh, but either way, the blood freaks out. And out. she freaks out too, which is nervy because she asked him to do it. What did she think was going to happen? I, who knows? <laughs> I don't think she was thinking. What, <laughs> maybe she just thought it was a taunt, like he won't actually do it. Or maybe she's like, it won't actually hurt. But you know, he maybe he cut too deep. Like he didn't just scratch her skin. He like, That's what you know. I concluded. Yeah. But it's not she's probably gonna stitches. forever unless you go deep enough. I mean, use your head, girl. So. That's right. Don't don't get high and then give someone a knife and say stab me. That's yeah, not I mean, that's not the paper never a good plan. Itself, if you want to really uh, anyway. Notes for everybody. Yes. Just don't don't ask someone to, to cut you if you're unless you're ready to uh, unless deal with the you're really in a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then, uh, you know, douchey wrestler number two accidentally gives him fentanyl. He thinks he's giving him oxy, <laughs> slightly more dangerous than oxy. <laughs> Well, it was probably oxy caught with fentanyl, right? In in his defense. <laughs> well, I mean, they it did seem like you know I think legitimately other folks were getting it. You know, this is probably overanalyzing this, but probably the guy who's you know making this stuff in his bathtub, uh, who we actually discover later on, is not that doesn't have much very good quality control, or it's just the the fentanyl got mixed in with the oxy, right? It's right. just like a, you know, I mean, I hear that happens. I I don't. It does. It definitely I does. Hear that. I mean, it happened to Prince, right? Is so, that right? Yeah. I mean, he, it was, you know, off the street. Yeah. That's a whole, I mean, that's all such a strange story. He, he literally is on a uh, camera, you know, in a, like at a local pharmacy, like right by his house, mm-hmm. the night that they, it happened, trying to get a prescription filled. And it was like too late uh, for, and I guess theoretically he went somewhere and, or someone hooked him up uh, and, you know, whatever he got was not what he was I expecting. didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It could have been the same guy who killed, killed Prince. Likely, actually. <laughs> yeah, there's only one fentanyl distributor in the country. One guy going around the country. <laughs> exactly. The place is fictional and non-fictional. <laughs> At the same time. You know, after he's getting the, taking the fentanyl accidentally, he says a few things to uh, to Audrey where he says that my dad doesn't believe me. She asks about what. He doesn't actually give her any details. In fact, he probably doesn't want to because he probably doesn't want to open that can of worms. He does open another can of worms. Right. Much bigger one <laughs> by uh, saying that. Jim is not even his real name, which of course is not. And uh, then he collapses, right? And uh, when he wakes up, Logan, cop slash assistant wrestling coach, is there. He's given him Narcan, saved his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dexter shows up. You know, he's been called in to uh, check in on him at the the hospital. Logan is like, you know, I'm not backing off. He's trying to do that whole tough love thing with uh, with Dexter, which, by the way, you know, as annoying as it is for Dexter to have to have this conversation with Logan at this moment. I mean, he's doing the right thing. He's like being like, no, you're you know, your son's obviously in, in trouble. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, he just had this traumatic experience, theoretically, uh, one way or the other, uh, you know, uh, but from their perspective, he's like a hero. He had this traumatic experience, you know, assaulting this guy who was trying to take down the school. And now a couple of days later, he's ODing. <laughs> And and by the way, alienated from his dad for a decade or more, based on just a little bit of his uh, history, they they know about them. And uh, so now Dexter's just like uh, butt out, <laughs> butt out already. Would you? <laughs> and he's like, sorry, Dex, I can't do that. And Dexter's like, that you're not a parent. Get the hell away from me. And he does back off. But I, you know, I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with Logan here. If I was in Logan's shoes, I'm like, man, this family is really messed up. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, the ladies are in New York City and they bully their way into seeing the security tape and they don't see it till later in the episode, but cut to the chase. We already know it's obviously not going to be Matt because uh, Matt is dead (laughs) and burned. So uh, they probably just gave some his cards to some guy and they said, hey, go spend these cards and, you know, to, to create a, a trail. But they've discovered it. So there you go. That story's falling apart. And Angela is now on the case as long, along with the podcast. They uh, want this story to unravel the podcaster specifically. 
wants you know a juicy story here. And of course, Angela wants to get to the bottom of the case as well. And meanwhile, Dexter does the completely wrong thing. He's like, I'm so mad. I'm going to go kill this drug dealer. That's his plan. Just a note to all you psychopaths out there. <laughs> the correct parenting thing to do is to make sure your son goes to the therapist. That would be like, stay with him the day after he overdosed. Yes. <laughs> make sure he goes to the therapist. Go to the therapist with him or just sit outside. Just be supportive. Don't be like, hey, kid, <laughs> go yep. see the therapist. I'm on my way to go murder somebody. <laughs> Oh, and of course, he goes to the one-stop shop of, uh, you know, murder supply with uh, ketamine and all his kill, kill room supplies all in one place, conveniently. Take as much ketamine as you want. That was so ridiculous, right? Like, these are still <laughs> controlled substances. Yes. Anybody that, like, values their license, I would think, isn't going to be loosey-goosey. Like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, self-checkout. See you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just put it on my tab. Take yeah. as much as you need crazy especially when kids are ODing in the town it's like I'm surprised there's nobody taking ketamine at that point yeah and he <laughs> acted like he was just going to take a small dose but he took two whole bottles yeah how much ketamine do you need for <laughs> like for one goat right <laughs> you know he, he confronts Miles in that bar basically pretends to be a customer and then very sloppy he was very sloppy in Miami too yeah. you know to, just to be clear but yes at least there, you know, in Miami, theoretically, you know, you, you drag someone down the street or whatever. You could be like, it's a busy city. You could be like, oh, that guy's drunk or whatever. You probably walked by sketchy looking things in New York all the time. And you're like, well, I don't want to really get involved. Right. That could make sense. Yeah. But in broad daylight, <laughs> trying yeah. to abduct this guy mm -hmm. in the parking lot with like, even if the cops hadn't shown up, just cars driving by. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like to be like, hey, why is he stuffing that kid into yep. a trunk? What if someone was looking out the window of the bar? Right. <laughs> it's a little strange. And Dexter is almost like saved from himself, by the way, by uh, the cops showing up, by Logan showing up. Uh, he like, you know, pretends he was just beating the guy up. Yeah. Like a angry dad would. Although the guy does react to the syringe in the neck, by the way. He goes, what was that? And then, you know, gets knocked out. But I'm sure he will forget all about that by the That's time he's uh... thinking as well. Yes. Yeah. He, he was good to cover his tracks that way. So yeah. Sure that, he... Very smart thinking. Meanwhile, Harrison did not go see his uh, therapist, right? Once again, nope. the dad should have stuck around. Instead, he is running away. Get it? Run away. Oh, the theme <laughs> of this of the episode. <laughs> and then we see uh, Angela has met Angel. And Angel may, uh, mentions the Bay Harbor butcher going, you know, sometimes you could be right next to a murderer and not know it. As a matter of fact, there's a strange case I can tell you about. Mm -hmm. We had a cop, you know, because they thought it was dopes. We had a cop who was the Bay uh, Harbor butcher. And we didn't know about it. And you know who was always uh, suspicious that something was going on? The one person we should listen to was Deborah Morgan. Also about the Trinity killer, that Deb Morgan was suspicious about the Trinity killer. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> that, yeah. So the first thing is that we but had a killer. Harbor, it, but there was also referenced either in the right, seminar right. or in the one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm not sure. But right. um, Deb was suspicious regarding the Trinity killer. And by the way, this didn't seem to me to be anything earth shattering, the idea that if you can find a common link between the murderers, that's probably going to lead you to the murderer. I mean, that seems right. obvious, but okay, sure. Brilliant. All of this was very funny to me. You're correct, by the way, that it was earlier on. He's mentioning that, that we had like basically a cop in the force and right by next to us and we never suspected him. When they're having that drink together, she mentions, hey, you know, there's all these missing girls. I think there's a connection here. And he's like, go with your gut. You know who always told me to go with their gut? He mentions Deborah Morgan. And then he says that, you know, uh, oh, and it's really sad what happened to her son too. And his son's, and his name was uh, Harrison, right? And I find it funny that, oh my <laughs> like, God. It, yes. in Angela's mind, she immediately goes like, oh my God, these are all connected somehow, right? Dun, dun, dun. 
Yeah. And also like my kid goes to school with a Harrison there. Are, you can't switch a dead cat without hitting a Harrison these days. Come on. <laughs> and even if it was an uncommon name, you could still be like, wow, that's creepy. But you're not going to be like, you know what I suspect? <laughs> yes. Well, like, <laughs> that's I mean, quite a... That was in Miami. That wasn't even in the yes. East. Come on. Exactly. There's a million Harrisons between here and there. <laughs> right. This is a very minor thing, but this is the type of thing that annoys me in a television writing, oftentimes when you're writing a show like this one, what happens is that it's almost as if the characters live in the world where the only people that exist in the world are the characters in the show. So they're like, wow, what a crazy coincidence. But like you're saying, it's just like, if I drove to another state and someone says the word Harrison, that's not the first thing I'm thinking. Right, like must be the same Harrison. I mean, must be the same person. What else other explanation is that? Maybe like slightly better probability with a name like mine, but even with mine, right. probably everyone that knows Asona, 99% of the time, it is not me. So. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and it's a minor thing, by the way, but it's still, it's just funny. It's just kind it's of I mean, Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of like, well, that's not going to be the thing that makes the light bulb go off. Come on. Right. Although it turns out that, you know, very simple Google search, uh, you know, has, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, reveals everything. True so much in life. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> and then uh we have uh dexter finds out the real source of the you know the botched uh oxy which is jasper hodge yes. and uh he tracks him down like now he's going to be that's my new target that's the guy i'm going to go kill right. and he does does sincerely plan to go kill him but something else happens in the meantime and i really am annoyed by this scene so i'd like to get your read on it we see that zoe is you know smart enough to um, understand what's going on you know obviously she knows she's trapped but she is first of all, trying to lure him into yeah. the room mm-hmm. with sex, right? Yes. So she's clever enough to it's find this out. Different approaches any, yep. I don't know why this bothered me so much. I'm not a prude, not at all. <laughs> but I didn't like the nudity in this scene. What, what did you What did you think of this? I didn't think it was necessary. Yes. But it's so seldom is, right? Like, unless you're watching something that is centered around sex, it's very seldom necessary to have nudity. It's just not the tone the show has had. So it seemed a little discordant with just the way they have presented everything else up until now to me. This is something that I don't know why, maybe it's because I have a daughter now, but it is something that has been bothering me more and more as years have gone by. This used to be such a staple in the old days. It was always some young girl who was killed, right? That's just, you know, the the genre requires this, right? But as time's gone by, relying on that so much has started to bother me a little bit, but especially here where they're trying to prove, and this is what is important about this scene to the context of the show. They're trying to show us that his interest in these girls is non-sexual. They're trying to be explicit about that, right? Yes. So good. Thank you for proving that out. But I just was really bothered by the nudity itself because you could have shot over her shoulder and she could have pulled down her bra strap and you would have understood what he was seeing without actually making her get undressed. And like you said, I find it really, once again, not only to kill these girls that have like no personality on the show, but then to objectify them this way. Maybe I'm overreading this, but it, it did it did bother me. And I'm not against sex in movies, by the didn't way. Go like full on, right? Like yes, she yes. wasn't completely exposed. I guess they did have that sex scene with the guy who's dead now at that part yes. of the house. So I guess there's a little bit of precedent for it, but it seemed more in place there to show like how over the top that party was. I didn't get hung up on it, but I do understand your point. You know, I'm a huge horror movie fan, but I never liked the whole torture porn type. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I really believe in I that with you. label, but I've always had an issue where like kind of conflating sex and murder. I find it repellent unless you're really going to explore it, right? I mean, there are a lot of killers who are wired that way, but if you're going to explore the topic, fine. 
like it, there is actually something that exists in the world, but to just throw it in there, like casually, it just, it just bothered me. And especially the point is to, you know, to show that this is a non-sexual, <laughs> then, then let's right. not sexualize it, right? Yes, I do see that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just my, <laughs> it just got stuck in my, uh, my, my craw for some reason. But Zoe is, you know, at least to, to the credit of this uh, poor actress who has to, <laughs> you know, be basically murdered off after just a few scenes. She is smart enough to A, try to lure him in. And then even when he releases her, she knows he wants me to run away. She doesn't allow him to do it. So, you know, she basically forces him to come into the room. She has a piece of mirror that she's, uh, you know, a weapon she's fashioned. Yeah. She gets a shot in on him, cuts his face a little bit, at least. And that could be problematic, you know, if he thinks himself untouchable. And then rather than running away, she runs at him, basically. And right. then he shoots her, shoots her in the face. And this kind of goes back to my theory before where, you know, he wanted these girls to be like kind of pristine and he was propping them somehow. I don't still know what his fetish is, but when he shot her in the face, obviously that the kill is not the point of it. It's not sexual. So whatever's going on, this pristine body being destroyed is uh, is a problem for mm -hmm. him. Trying to figure out my theory is here, especially when he's being nice to Harrison in the next couple of scenes. He really makes the same offer to Harrison. I wonder if there is my theory here is that is he trying to fix, quote unquote, these girls, these runaways? Is there something that someone like run away from him at some point in his past? And basically he gives them a chance to reform themselves. And then if they fail, then they become his next victim because somehow preserving them is better than letting them go or something. What's the chance? To reform themselves. Importantly, they mentioned that this is not a sexual thing so that they can have Harrison be in, in danger this episode. He's running away in a town. And that's basically what happens in one of these subsequent scenes. We see that he runs into Kurt. He says, let me buy you some, some lunch or some dinner. Uh, Harrison eats. And then he goes, well, why don't you get a job here? And it looks like he is going to work there at the diner. So he did take the offer. People that who don't want to work are the people he kills? I think so, right? Because he did offer Zoe okay. the same thing, right? So, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying it's specifically about her working for him or not. I think it's the fact that he's going to do all these things because he even says to Harrison that he wants to be like a mentor. To and him. then it's just like kids today. They just want everything handed to them. She dies. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I don't know if it's that simple, <laughs> but uh, or maybe it will be that simple. But I'm just trying to figure out what his psychology is here, right? Because he definitely, they're, they're definitely setting up Harrison to be uh, at risk here yeah, once again. Great. But at the same time, he's also setting him up as a possible mentor, right? So once again, going back to one of those themes before of the fatherhood in this season, he had his own son who's dead now, uh, Kurt. And then we have, of course, Harrison. And now we have Dexter. Is this um, parallel dad situation here where we have, we have Dexter and Kurt as potential father figures for him? And maybe Kurt's looking for a son figure or a mentee figure because of the death of his son. Mm -hmm. And how that all ties into what he's doing to these girls. I don't know what's, what he's doing to their bodies, but, you know, it looks like based on all those missing pictures that we saw in Angela's office that it's, you know, we don't see many boys up there. It looks like these are mostly girls. Maybe it's just generically runaways and they just happen to be. I was kind of surprised that whatever that psychopathy is, that it would extend to boys as well. Can we mentioned before Dexter had tracked down this manufacturer of this uh, narcotic basically does his whole kill room situation. He's ready to do the stab in the heart. And then he hears a car outside. Super careless. Yeah with his drugs. They're just scattered everywhere. I mean, that was crazy to me. Coming from like a New Jack City kind of generation, like that was crazy, you know? I mean, I guess he's, uh, it, it speaks to his privilege. <laughs> no I one's guess, snooping around his house. Stuff with fentanyl, maybe be a little more careful. You just, you know, <laughs> accidentally inhale something and it's over. Good point. Good point. Uh, and then once again, quick thinking on Dexter's part, I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, he can't let this guy go. What is he going to do? And of course he just fakes an overdose, right. which was a smart way to do yep, it. Perfect. 
And then, of course, by the cops show up uh, the next morning, uh, he's dead, overdosed. But, you know, it's interesting. Logan uh, does the right thing, by the way. I made this criticism earlier. He does the right thing. He goes, you know, we can't get a judge to approve this warrant uh, until the weekend's over. He stakes out the house to make sure they they don't lose their suspect. But they didn't do such a great job when they found the uh, uh, crime scene, potentially, when the stag was killed and Dexter went in like, (laughs) you know... (laughs) Nobody was watching that. Yeah. <laughs> Angela gives Audrey a big hug when she comes back. She goes, oh, are you okay? And Audrey goes, oh, no, I wasn't doing anything. I just feel bad. But I have to tell you something. Well, uh, Harrison mentioned something about Jim, that that's not his real name. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dun, dun, dun. And then, let uh, me but of course, take to Google. <laughs> yes. Let me go to Google and somehow get a clipping of an obituary. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what the Google article looked like? <laughs> that's a good point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> She Googled the microfiche? Like, what was that? A PDF of a newspaper article. (laughs) Exactly. And I also found that, like, she found it so quickly. She wasn't, like, they didn't show her doing, like, the the usual thing you see. And this is a bad directing choice, by the way, just a nitpick. It's like, you know, you usually see cut between the article, the the, the computer screen, and the person's eyes. And, you know, it's very generic. You know, it shows that they did some research. She literally sits down. And she's like, (laughs) as if she sat down, she writes... I would assume she would write Deborah Morgan, right? Right. You know, after Angel's conversation. Only and she goes, oh, that's right. And then she clicks the button to print. And it's the obituary, a news clipping, news clipping of the obituary for Dexter. <laughs> Not sure why that was the first result yeah. that came back when she typed in Deborah Morgan, but that's what happened. Okay, maybe, hear me out. Maybe yep. she did Deborah Morgan. She did an image search. And because the brother was also dead, he came up in the image search and she just clicked on that image because she said, hey, that's Jim. Yeah. I mean, I, that's why I said that this is a nitpick. It's like a directing <laughs> mistake in my mind. It's that, yeah, you could definitely do that. I mean, if I was going to put that together, that's exactly what I put. Deborah Morgan. And then there'd be like a picture of Deborah Morgan and her brother died in a boating accident. A picture of Deb and her brother looking at. Who's her brother's name? Dexter Morgan. Let me type in Dexter Morgan obituary. Aha, there's his obituary, which is still not a newspaper clipping, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, I'm sorry, but like, I don't know what that paper was, but they all have paywalls at this point. So I hope you know True. she used one of her three, three articles for the month. <laughs> but yeah, but, but a quick image search would have, yeah. So, but then, yeah, so maybe she would have to print a few different things out, like a, an open source, uh, you know, just the text of an obituary and some headshots as well. <laughs> Which, by the way, is very funny to me. I didn't think about it at the time, but I find it very funny that, of course, if this was in the newspaper, that this cop and his sister, which is a pretty crazy story, right? That, you know, this woman who had investigated some serial killer in Miami, so it was a minor celebrity, had now died and her brother died too, and they were both cops, right? All of that, that that probably would have been in a newspaper. So the idea that Jim, quote unquote, was saying to Harrison, I'm not Dexter. I don't know what you're talking about. When imagine Harrison, who's not five years old now, he's a 16, 17 year old, arrives in Miami, goes to the library, types in Dexter Morgan, (laughs) right? And sees like an obituary or pictures of Deb or whatever. And there's Dexter, (laughs) right? Like 10 years ago. And that Michael C. Hall would be like, well, I don't know who that person is. It's obviously (laughs) not me. It's like, well, he does look exactly like you, but 10 years younger, which is not, you know, (laughs) when you do change that much when you're in your forties at this point. (laughs) Like he could just hold up the obituary to his face. Especially when he had a picture of him, right? Like yeah. he even says he had a picture yeah. of him. I looked at that picture of you 
all the time when he, yeah. we know probably when he was like five or six years old. Yeah. And like, once again, Dexter doesn't look that different yeah. in over 10 years. Yeah. Pretty easy to identify. Uh, I don't know if you caught the scenes from I see any scenes. It's something about the way I'm watching it. I'm not getting scenes. Okay. So next week, just so you know, and uh, it's in, in, in the upcoming, but basically it is Angela's confronting Dexter. Oh. She does the whole, pulls him over and says, show me your, your license and ID. And he goes to, you know, do their usual sex yeah. play thing. And she goes, not that one. The one that says Dexter. Oh, man. Yeah. So that's why I was saying, like, you know, that's what I kind of like about the show. They are not like she's going to drag that out for three yeah. days or something. Yeah. Something weird happens, you know, so they get distracted. Nope. She's going to confront them right away. And uh, and then we see the other thing we see is Harrison is in therapy for real. He's actually at the therapist's okay. office. Uh, they also have Angela is questioning Dexter in the police station. And she goes, were you running away from something? And uh, so I'm sure he's going to have some kind of story about that. But I don't know. It's going to be pretty sketchy. Mm -hmm. And here's another minor spoiler that I don't consider this a spoiler because it literally is on the Showtime uh, website. Showtime has descriptions for next week's episode and the following week's episode. And Angel is coming to their town in two weeks. So if Angel shows up, that is going to be a whole shitstorm. <laughs> okay, so finally, this is the thing I want to talk to you about the most. <laughs> yes. I love this. This is so crazy. At the end of this show, this song starts playing on the closing credits okay. of the show. I want to feel forever changing, but it's hard when all this rearranging means I might be losing. That sounds like Michael C. Hall yes. singing. Yes, right? agree. And I'm like, that is so weird. That sounds like him singing. So I Google the lyrics, right. as you would. Yeah, as you do. The song is called Ketamine, of all things. Huh. And it is by a band called Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum. That's the name of the <laughs> band. This is what you wanted to talk to me about. Okay. Yes, yes. And is and- Michael C. Hall a member of this band? He's the lead singer. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is that as I'm listening to this, I'm like, holy cow, that guy sounds so much like yeah. Dexter, right? Yes. So I literally was laughing out loud to myself alone in my house like a crazy person because I was picturing Dexter, like in high school, had like a goth, had a goth band, right? Wow. And I was like, oh, that's that's the root of all his this, this problems, right? It's like this failed musical career. <laughs> And then it goes deeper than that. So then I find out this is his band, Michael C. Hall. So <clears throat> the first result, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. The first result is the YouTube video for this song. This video for this song is so hysterically funny. It makes, <laughs> what's that Bonnie Tyler song? Total Eclipse of the Heart. Uh-huh. It makes the video for Total Eclipse of the Heart seem subtle <laughs> in comparison. Oh, it is very, very funny. So I just oh, picture like Dexter yeah. in like a really bad, you know, a uh, uh, synth pop band. Yeah. <laughs> And if he had just gotten that record deal, all those hundreds of people would have survived. But instead, he had to become a blood spatter expert. The tragedy of it all. And we all suffered the consequences. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> I do recommend you track down this video. It is hysterically funny. It is what you would see, like I've said, live making fun right, of right. this type of video. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Indeed. So that's the episode. And we will continue to cover Dexter, New Blood, in the upcoming weeks, wrapping up in January. And then I will begin to talk about what we plan to cover next. So as usual, make sure you reach out to us, uh, need some introduction at gmail.com. If you have any commentary, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you recommend this to other folks as well. Static, then you'd hear
song 